0: It's a joy to be here at Calvary Chapel Vista, and uh, it's a delight, and I trust that as we spend some time together, that God will own it, and the Spirit of God will use it to encourage you in your walk with Christ. As Pastor Rob said, I'm, I'll put you out of your misery. You don't have to guess. The accent's from Ireland. Grew up in the city of Belfast, Northern Ireland, during the height of the Troubles. God saved me, called me to the ministry. And eventually we wind up here in California. They say you can tell an Irishman, but you can't tell him much. And I think that's, I think that's generally true. Uh, but it's great to be here, partner with Kay Praise. Uh We're delighted. We started a radio ministry some eight years ago. We're now on 670 stations all across the United States. We have several outlets in the UK. And we just trust God will use that, to glorify Himself and honor His Son. The Bible says that God gave His Word, and great was the company that proclaimed it or published it. And working alongside K-Praise and K-K-L-N, good men like Frank Sontag, we just want to get the Word of God out. We'll let God take His Word, build His church, save sinners, glorify His Son. Um, The ministry is called Know the Truth. If you'd like to connect with us, uh, we have a a little uh, stall in your exhibition hall. Uh, You can go and learn a little bit about the ministry. We've got some resources there for you. I don't want to do a lot of advertising, but it's hot off the press. It's our latest book. It's called Take Cover. Um, For several years, I was a police officer in Northern Ireland during the height of the Troubles with the IRA and all that was going on there. And one of the things I learned was that security is not the absence of danger. Security is the presence of God. It's hard to run from danger in this life. And when you're a police officer in Northern Ireland in 1985, according to Interpol, you're more likely to be killed off-duty than on-duty. So 24-7, you just had this sense, man, you could die at any moment. And uh, during those years... That kind of theology was forged in my life. Security is not the absence of danger. It's the presence of God. And so uh, we've written a book called Take Cover, Finding Peace in God's Protection. Got all kinds of things there for you. Take cover in prayer. Take cover in God-centered worship. Uh, Take cover in a realistic view of suffering. Take cover in uh, the hope of the second coming. Take cover in... Government protection, take cover in self defense, take cover in a trust that's unshakable in God. Eight chapters. I think you'll be blessed. And uh, we have a special reduced price tonight. It's marked at $25. It's hardback, but we're going to give it to you tonight for $15. Um, You know, if that's a struggle, you can negotiate with the guy over in the exhibition hall. Uh, We just want to get God's Word in any form into people's lives. I think you'll find it a blessing. And uh, Pastor Rob and the staff and anybody here that might be in the ministry, if you could get up to Anaheim Hills next Thursday morning, we have a free event for you. It's our um, church leadership conference. We started several years ago, and I'll be speaking. And we've also got a speaker, Tony Merida. He's part of Acts 29. He also teaches preaching at Southeastern Baptist Seminary in North Carolina. He's written several books, one's on uh, faithful preaching. And uh, Tony and I will be speaking, encouraging God's men uh, to preach the word in season and out of season. We're going to give some books away. chick fil A's providing lunch. You just have to sign up and be there. Sorry, ladies, it's a man's only thing. Uh, don't be starting a campaign against us. But uh, Whatever you do, uh, this is an this is, uh, event. If you know anybody up in our area that could benefit from it, that would be great. But continue to pray for our ministry. If God would ever lay it on your heart to get behind us financially, we'd appreciate that. Um, We just want to uh, take the time. uh, The the hands of the clock of history are moving towards the midnight hour, and uh, the time is short, and people are perishing. The gospel is hidden from those that perish, and we need to take it to them. And uh, we are just one avenue by which God is doing that. Uh, Calvary Chapel Vista is another, and maybe together uh, we'll, we'll punch some holes in the darkness. Amen? Amen. Several years ago, when I was in Ohio pastoring, one of our deacons came to me and he said, Pastor, uh, I saw a sign in a gun shop that I, I thought you'd find interesting. And uh, I said, well, what did it say? And he said, it, 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 it said in the wind, window of the shop, uh, treat your gun like you'd treat any Irishman. Always assume it's loaded. And um, I, I'm locked and loaded. Uh, God, I think, has given me a message that I think will be an encouragement to you. And so take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. When I was at the Irish Baptist College in Belfast, Our principal at the time was a PhD from Oxford, Dr. Ivor Oakley. He's now with the Lord. And I remember he said something in the preaching class. He said this to all the preachers. Preach to broken hearts, for there's one in every pew. Preach to anxious hearts, and you'll never lack an audience. And I think that's true. And so I want to speak tonight on the subject, Stop Your Worrying. I don't know if you're a worry wart, but um, Jesus Christ has something to say about that. And so we're going to expound God's Word from Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34, a message I've called, Stop Your Worrying. It's as blunt as that. We're going to see that Jesus three times in this Sermon on the Mount will command you as a disciple of His to stop worrying. Stop worrying. You're worrying. Let's take time to read God's Word together. We have a little tradition in our church. Maybe I can have you follow it here. When God's Word is read, we stand. So would you please do that? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Let's follow along. I'm reading from the New King James translation of Holy Scripture. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen? Amen. You may be seated I like the story of the guy who was asked by a friend, you sure look worried. Are you okay? And he responded, you don't know the half of it. He says, I've got so many troubles and I've got so many worries that if one more bad thing happens today, I'll have to wait two weeks before I can start to worry about it. Life has its worries. They're inescapable. They're unavoidable. As Americans, we're worried about the growing divide in our country. We're worried about rising health costs. We're worried about, or we should be worried about the national debt. The specter of Islamic terror. As Americans, we're worried about a host of things. As parents, we're worried about the safety of our neighborhoods, are we not? Feeling schools a morally toxic environment for our children to grow up in. As individuals, we may be worried about our health, our finances, retirement, happiness, relationships. We may even be worried about the state of our walk with God. It seems that today, wherever you look, whoever you talk to, however you slice it, There are so many things to worry about. In fact, there's so many things to worry about, you and I might be even worried that we're not worried, and if we're not worried, maybe we should start worrying. (laughs) Like To one degree or another, we all wrestle with anxiety, fear, worry. And yet we all know at the back of our mind we ought not to, and we all know that it really doesn't do any good anyway. If it does anything, it drains our energies, it distorts our emotions, it dulls our effectiveness. And in knowing that, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 37, because here our precious Lord Jesus Christ addresses the issue of worry, and he addresses his disciples directly about it. In fact, this passage within the Sermon of the Mount takes up about a seventh of the sermon. Jesus focuses his attention on those things that trouble the human heart. And I would say the answer is simple. He does that because it was a real issue for his disciples. Don't forget, they had left their nets. They had left their livelihoods to follow him. They had gone out on a plank. There was no safety net. They would put it all on the line. Where was the next meal coming from? They still had families at home they needed to take care of. It was real. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? And then, on top of that, the culture itself was a culture, a context that would generate worry. In my study, I'm told that uh, the average Israelite was taxed up to 40% of their income by the Romans. This was a region plagued by famine and drought. The economy was a day-to-day scraping a a living out of whatever you could get your hands on. Uh, Employers paid their employees Every day. They lived from hand to mouth. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray for their daily bread. They didn't have um, pantries that were stocked with food, Uh, they didn't have savings. This was a day to day existence. And if you didn't get hired, that was bad news for your family. And so, this is the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Worry was real practical matters were at the forefront of people's minds. But here's what's interesting. Given that context, where you can actually make a good argument to excuse yourself for worrying, because the worries were real, not imagined, yet Jesus gives them no room to worry. Three times in our passage, verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, he commands them, it's an imperative in the Greek, he commands them to stop worrying. He he, he allows no elbow room for a disciple of his to spend time worrying. It's forbidden. They're to stop it immediately. Let me put the text in its context just briefly. You've got to do that. Because as we were taught at the Master's Seminary, a text out of its context is a pretext for error. And I want you to notice how our section begins. It begins with a therefore. That means it's linked to the, previous argument or it's tied to the immediate verses. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one or love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money or God and material things. That's the premise for the therefore. Having warned the rich not to make an idol of their money Jesus now seeks to comfort the poor who never have enough money. And I think you and I want to make some linkage here so we might understand. I think Jesus is raising a question that the passage we're about to look at will answer. Here's the question, will you allow money to be your God or will God be your treasure? And the answer to that question will determine whether you live a peaceful life or a life riddled with worry and anxiety, because if you make money, you're God. If you make an idol of material things, you will never feel insecure. Because money will never guard you. You will spend your life anxiously guarding your money. Hasn't it been said that money's a great servant, but it's a terrible master? And Jesus is saying, hey, is money going to be your God, or is God going to be your treasure? Because if God is your treasure, then your trust is in the one who made all things. If your trust is in your money, then you're trusting something that God made. What is it going to be? And listen, if God is your trust and God is your treasure and you live out your life in a knowledge that he's your father and he knows the things you have need of and he cares for his children more than his pets, because if he takes care of the birds of the air and the grass of the field, will he not take care of you? Once you trust God as your father, anxiety flees away. So that's the context of our text. Is God going to be your treasure or is money going to be your God? If money's your God, you'll spend the rest of your life in anxiety guarding it because it will never guard you. Or if God is your treasure, the one who made heaven and earth, uh, the the, the cattle on a thousand hills are his, says the psalmist. Can God not take care of you? Wasn't it A.W. Tozer who said that the man who has God and everything else is nothing more than the man who has God and nothing else because the man who has God has everything in one. So let's look at our text. I hope you write notes. Our folks do. Follow along. Get something out of the sermon. Something to write down. Meditate upon day and night. Number one, as Jesus addresses this, he makes several arguments to stop your worrying. Number 1 worry is unlawful. Number 1 worry is unlawful. I've already alluded to this fact that three times in the Greek grammar Jesus it speaks in the imperative he speaks to those to whom he's addressed himself, and he commands them to desist from worrying. It's abrasive. It's absolute. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. And he goes on to repeat it throughout this. In fact, the grammar is, stop that which you're already doing. They were already worrying. It's not like he says, Stop worrying, as in, if you're going to worry tomorrow, you need to stop. But he's saying, right now I can sense you're anxious. You're all tied up in knots. You're worried about today. You're anxious about tomorrow. Stop it. Stop it now. No more. Worry is unlawful. It's a breaking of the command of Jesus Christ. It's inappropriate. It's unlawful. It's illegal for Christians to worry. It's immoral for Christians to worry. Paul will say the same thing, won't he? In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, again an imperative in the Greek text, be anxious for nothing, but in everything pray with thanksgiving. For Jesus Christ, this was a moral issue. Anxiety is not an issue of temperament. Anxiety is not a mental condition. In Jesus' mind, it's a moral violation. Now, let me say this, just as a footnote. I wouldn't be willing to admit that a person's temperament might play into their propensity to worry. And some people may have challenges mentally, a racing mind or whatever. But even when that's conceded, you and I need to put worry in the context it belongs, it's a moral issue. Are you going to trust God with your life, your tomorrow, your concerns? Or are you going to try and be the master of your own fate and the captain of your own soul? Are you going to give the impression to the world that God can't be trusted? It's a moral issue, my friend. That's why it's unlawful. That's why we've got to stop making excuses for ourselves. And we've got to put this sin where it belongs. Because I don't know if you agree with me. I hope you do. If you don't, you've got the right to be wrong. But here's the issue. Here's the issue. This is one of the respectable sins of the church. If you've read a book by Jerry Bridges, it's called Respectable Sins. And he puts this as one of them. And his whole thesis is, if you look at the contemporary church, we're preoccupied with the sins of the society, the big sins. And we'll go on a rant about trans- transgenderism. We'll go on a rant about homosexuality and the big moral immoral sins of our day. And you know what? I have no argument against that. Those are outside the will of God. Those are a violation of God's law. They ought to be opposed and spoken against. But hold on a minute. As, as my mother used to say to me, Philip, when you point the finger at someone, always remember there's two pointing back. And the, and the finger that would point at us, while we bemoan the, the growing secularism and the moral relativity of our day, you and I need to realize that sin, that worry is a sin, and it is practical atheism. And we should stop this selective disgust where it's a respectable sin. There are no respectable sins. Now the Catholics have their venial sins and their mortal sins. They categorize sin. All sin is mortal, by the way. Sin brings forth death in any form. But even as Protestants or Evangelicals, we've got our kind of respectable sins and then our abhorrent sins. And I don't think Jesus gives us that latitude, does He? Let me throw out a little scenario, and we'll try and move on. Just to kind of crystallize what I'm trying to say. Imagine you're at a small group here at Calvary Chapel Vista, and it's a prayer time. Everybody's sharing things to be prayed for, and, and one person says, "You know, I need, I need to be honest tonight." I'm just going to come out plain and simple. I'm addicted to pornography and I need help. In many situations, you know, while people will minister, they'll be if not if not outwardly, they'll be inwardly. That's kind of, you know, gasping. Wow. That's bad. Five, Five minutes earlier, but someone had said, you know what, could 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 you guys pray for me? Because I'm a chronic worrier. You know what you get? Oh, so am I. Let's all pray for each other. You've just admitted that you constantly sin and express distrust in God. But see, that's one of those reasonable sins, respectable sins. I just want to remind you, Jesus has just told men who have left everything for him. In a culture where there is no social security... No safety net. To cut it out. Stop the worrying. Unacceptable. Wasn't it John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher, who said, I can no more worry than I can curse and swear. Or I like a story that Gary Enrig tells in his book on, um, I think a book on judges, where he talks about this lady who goes to the priest and gets into the confessional box and says, you know what, uh, Father, I, I want to con- confess the sin of vanity. Every time I look in the mirror, I can't help but conclude, I'm beautiful. I mean, I'm absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. The priest opens the little window, takes a look at her, and he says, look, don't worry about it, sister. That's not a sin. That's a mistake. <laughs> Well, um, Jesus would have us know that worry's not a mistake. It's not a temperament issue. It's a sin. It's an unbreaking of God's law. And we'll see before we're done tonight. It's no small sin. It's practical atheism. It's blatant materialism. It's a denial of providence. It's a waste of your time, it's futile, and it's a terrible testimony to the world. Add all of those things together, and there's nothing good about worrying. Now, let me say this as a further footnote. Given that, I do think it is appropriate just to pause a moment and distinguish between worry and legitimate concern. Because here's an interesting study. Write down Second Corinthians 11, Write down Philippians 2, verse 20. Because the same Greek word that's translated here, worry, unlawful worry, a word that means divided mind. Where you're kind of, I'm going to trust God, I'm, I'm not going to trust God, I'm, I'm going to trust God, I'm, I'm not going to trust God, and you're caught in the middle and you don't do either. In fact, more, more to not trusting Him. This is our word. But interestingly, it appears in Philippians 2.20 to speak of Timothy's great care for the Philippian church. It's translated to their care. No one cares for you like Timothy. And in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, it's used to describe... Remember how Paul tells about all that he went through? shipwrecks beatings, nakedness, stoning, near death. And then he says on top of that, I have the care of the churches. That's our word. Now that's legitimate care. That's legitimate worry if you want to put it that way. Jesus isn't prohibiting legitimate concern. Those things that even might keep you up at night a little bit. A prodigal son who needs to come back home to Christ. Uh, you've got a big job. You may be an architect. Have you, have you calculated your figures right? Are your measurements true? Is this thing going to hold up under pressure? Nothing wrong with being a little bit legitimately concerned about that because a lot of stuff rides on it. Should we be concerned about the moral collapse of our country? Absolutely. There's a whole host of things we should be genuinely concerned about, caring toward. But somehow, somewhere, there's a fine line where that good worry becomes bad worry. And it's hard to draw it, but I think you'll know it when you've crossed it. And I wrote down a few things that I think will help you realize, you know what? I've gone from good worry to bad worry. In fact, I remember when I preached a version of this sermon many years ago in a church I pastored in Ohio, a dear young mother in our church, Stephanie Blair, wrote me an email, said, Pastor, that was so helpful. I'm working hard at stopping. I always remember this little phrase. I'm working hard at stopping my good worries become bad worries. I think we all fight that. And if you want to know when you've crossed that line, I think this will help. You'll be constantly distracted if it's bad worry. It's one thing to be concerned, think about something, be burdened. But when it's constant and unending and gives you no relief, that's not good. Because remember, the Greek word is a divided mind. James talks about the unstable man, you know, and he's like a, he's like a wave in the ocean that goes up and down and up and down. A life that's not marked by stability is a life marked by anxiety. Number two, you've lost your trust in God and, and, and the peace that comes with that. Jesus says to these disciples, oh, you have little faith. Living in the future is another sign. that You're at the wrong side of this line because Jesus says, just take care of today. But if you don't do that, it's bad worry. And if you're paralyzed, the paralysis of analysis, so to speak, Or you're just focused on this thing, it's draining you, distracting you, it immobilizes you, makes you ineffective for Jesus Christ, that's bad worry. Because Jesus talks about how worry adds nothing to your life. It only subtracts. I think David Jeremiah said this, you don't need to worry about being concerned, but you do need to be concerned about being worried. And there's the balance. Here's number two. Worry is unbecoming. Worry is unbecoming. Unseemly. Inappropriate. Shouldn't be done. It ought not to be found in a Christian's life. Let me put it another way. Worry is wrong because it has us undervaluing our value to God. That's unbecoming. It's an old... English word I happen to like, probably not much in your vocabulary, but worry is unlawful. Worry is unbecoming. It's inappropriate. Why? Because of a few arguments Jesus makes here, what I might call lordly logic. Lordly logic. The logic of Jesus is, he talks about things that are from greater to lesser and from lesser to greater. This is a rabbinic argument in Jesus' day. If you want to make your case, if you want to win the argument, you tend to use this kind of little mechanism where you argue from the greater to the lesser or from the lesser to the greater. Now now notice the language in our text that has that. Look at verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. And here's the argument, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on your body. Because is not life more than food and body, more than Clothing. He goes from the greater to the lesser. What's the argument Jesus is making? What's the lordly logic here? Well, hold on a minute. If he gives you life, won't he give you the things necessary for life? I mean, don't those two things go together in most cases? And even think about it. For nine months of our life in our mother's bellies, we didn't worry nor could we worry. We hadn't the ability to worry, and yet God took care of us. we got nine months of room and board for free. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hold on a minute, you guys, getting yourselves all in a tizzy and all worked up. Is not life more than food and clothing? I mean, this is a kind of stupid illustration, but it it kind of makes the point. When I I was buying my wife the engagement ring in a jeweler's shop in Belfast, we ultimately picked it. You know, we were on a bit of a budget, which she's been reminding me of recently that this wasn't a great ring. Um, We were at Bible college at the time, so I think I've got something coming down the line here I need to start saving up for. She's taking me to Costco a lot at the moment and showing me these nice rings just inside the door. But here's the deal. We bought this r- ring, and I was stupid enough to say to the girl as we d- made the deal, do we get a wee box with that? And she kind of looked at me like, you, you know, are you the village idiot? Of course you get a box. We just, you just shelled out several hundred pounds. We're going to give you a two-pound box, and we're going to put it in a nice little bag, and we'll put a bow and a ribbon on it. That's a bad illustration, but the point is, yeah, you bought the ring, you get the box. You bought the ring, you get the box. Jesus is saying you got life. It was given to you by God. Are you telling me that God's not up to giving you the food and clothes that go with it? And then you go from the lesser to the greater. Because in verses 26 through, through 30, what is he saying? Look at the birds of the earth, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? This is a value issue. See, it, it's unbecoming to worry, because when you worry, you're saying you don't count to God. That he puts no value on his children. What kind of a father would that be? That would be a deadbeat dad. And don't dare give the world the impression that our Father is a deadbeat dad. So this is Jesus' argument here from the greater to the lesser, the lesser to the greater. Look at the birds of the air. They, God takes care of them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? He talks about the grass of the field that grows one day and is burned tomorrow. And yet that grass and the, and the, and the, the flowers that surround it, their beauty is greater than Solomon's. And we read in verse 30, will he not much more clothe you if he clothes the ground with grass and tacks it done with flowers? Won't he take care of you? Because you see, man and woman is the pinnacle of God's creation. I mean, we are distinct from the rest of creation. We were made in God's image. No animal was made in God's image. We were made for fellowship with God. Beyond the fall, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, indwelt by the gift of the Holy Spirit within. We're the apple of His eye. We're precious to Him. So don't you think if He takes care of the wider creation, won't He take care of the pinnacle of creation, man? Of course He will. That's why worry is unbecoming. Hmm. Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. John Stott, the great expositor, said that if you love birds or the study of birds, that's called ornithology. But here in Matthew 6, we have ornithology. Go look at the birds of the air. When my wife and I were thinking about leaving Northern Ireland, all that we knew, the place of our friendships, our home with three little girls, five, three, and one, to come out to the Master's Seminary. That was a big move, and with it came all kinds of anxieties and concerns. We were leaving a church ministry. We are coming to the most expensive real estate in the United States coming to the left, the loony coast. It was like a whole lot of things were bothering us and bugging us. And we were sitting down one night praying, and, and as we were reading, and, and that, that night we happened to read the message by Eugene Peterson. I wouldn't recommend it as a, you know, a, an accurate translation, but as a paraphrase, it just can catch your imagination sometimes. And in that book, we were reading Matthew 6. And, 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 and Eugene Peterson translates the phrase, go look at the birds of the air. They don't They don't, you know, worry about gathering food and your father takes care of them. He phrased it like this. Look at the birds of the air, careless in the care of God. Beautiful. That really helped us. Three little girls in the living room. Boxes all around us because we were leaving to come to the master's seminary. Big move. But that night a peace settled because you know what? We can be careless in the care of God. The birds are. Aren't we much more precious than they are? Isn't there that old poem you you might know? Maybe young people don't know, but it's good. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they do not have a heavenly Father who cares for them like you and me. But we do. We do. God sent his son to redeem us. And those of us that have put our trust in Jesus Christ, he's given us the engagement ring of the Holy Spirit. He loves us eternally. Why do we worry? It, it's unlawful, it's unbecoming, it's unproductive. Number three, gotta get moving here. It's unproductive. It's a waste of time. Stop it. There's better things to do with your mind. It drains you, leaving you unfit for life. It doesn't help the situation to any degree. It's unproductive. Someone has well said that worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't go anywhere. Doesn't do anything for you. Jesus pointed exactly. Look at verse 27. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? You may have a translation. Which one of you by worrying can add length to the span of his days? Doesn't doesn't add anything to your living. In fact, someone did a study. I read this in a book, a survey. And they said this, that... um, it was revealed that 40% of the things most people worry about never happen. 30% of what we worry about has already happened and we can't change it. 22% of what we worry about regarding problems are beyond our control. And only 8% of what we worry about involves situation over which we have any influence. That's Jesus' point. We worry about stuff over which we have no control that was yesterday. It doesn't get us anywhere. Although we think it does sometimes. A pastor preached on that. You know what? Worry unproductive, it doesn't achieve anything. And a man came up to him after the service and said, Pastor, you're wrong. He says, I've been worrying my whole life, and none of the things I've ever worried about has actually happened. Yeah, yeah, some of you got it. Well, he's making the point. Of course they didn't happen because they were never going to happen whether you're worried about them or not. Worry doesn't change anything. doesn't make life better. doesn't add to your life. Come on, you can testify to that tonight. In fact, I would say this, and you know this, it doesn't add to life. It actually subtracts from life. We think we worry with our minds, but you worry with your stomach. That's why you get ulcers, high blood pressure, heart palpitations, Worry doesn't change anything outside, but it changes things on the inside. You end up with a distracted mind. You can't focus on God's word. You end up paralyzed in terms of action and moving ahead in life physically, you're being drained. And emotionally, you're being stretched. And all kinds of things come with it. High blood pressure, ulcers, coronary problems. You got it. Worry cannot lengthen your life. But I'll tell you what it can do. It can shorten it. So Jesus says, don't. It's unlawful. It's unbecoming. It's unproductive. Fourthly, it's unbelief. Worry is unbelief. Leon Morris, the great commentator said in his commentary in Matthew, worry is pointless while trust is well-based. I love that. Let me say that again. You've got to think it out. Worry is pointless while trust is well-based. What's his point? Worry is, you know, pointless. Doesn't change anything on the outside. Changes everything on the inside. It can't fix things. It you gets your mind off God. It has you in His promises, His goodness, His fatherly care. Worries, pointless, but trust in God? It's well-based. You've got the promises of God's Word. You can read the history of His providence within history. You can look at the life and testimony and miracles of His Son. You can look at your own life. Surely goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. You can draw from that well and remember that the God who was with you yesterday is with you today and has promised never to forsake you or fail you tomorrow. Trust is well-based. And yet at times you don't give God that trust to our shame. That's why he had to chastise his disciples, right? Oh, you of little faith. See, it's not a temperament issue. Not a medical issue for the most part. It's a moral issue. Where are you going to weigh your anchor? Where are you going to put your trust? Where are you going to gain your confidence? If it's in the Word, if it's in the Gospel, if it's in the promises of the indwelling presence of God, heaven ahead. I mean, those things don't change. See, worry has us looking into an unknown future while simultaneously blinding us to the past and present faithfulness of God within creation all around us. Look at the birds and the grass of the field. That's why Jesus shouts to his disciples Look at the birds, consider the grass. Strong language in the Greek. Guys, around you, the creation speaks of the faithfulness of the Creator. Aren't you much more precious? Have I not made that argument already? Give Him your trust. Some of my life verses are Psalm 37, 3-5. to five. And one of the verses there is, Trust in the Lord and feed on His faithfulness. If you come to our home, we've got all kinds of things around our home from travels abroad, missions trips. You come through the front door, we have a half circle table with about 40 pictures going across generations. I want my girls to realize God has been good on the de Courcy side. My wife is from Scotland on the Elliot side. God is faithful. There's things all around our home. It's a museum to God's faithfulness. That's why Deuteronomy talks about putting stuff on the doorposts and on the walls and on the lintels of your home. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Give Him your trust. He's worthy of it. His character, His providence, His promises, and the evidences that are all around your own life. It's terrible that we don't give Him that trust. That's why George Mueller said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Surely a great God who has made the heavens and the earth and for whom nothing is impossible is worthy of more than little faith. Surely a covenant-keeping God whose promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ deserves more than little fear. Surely a sacrificing God who spared not His own Son but delivered Him up for us all and has promised with Him to give us all things is worthy of more than our little fear. Let's repent tonight of our lack of trust in a God who's been faithful. Vance Havner was an old Southern Baptist evangelist. I like reading his stuff. He tells about a lady who's got a lot of ailments, has left things a bit a little late. She, she runs to her doctor and doctor examines her and comes up with a prognosis and basically says, Lady, there's not much we can do for you. It's a bit late. You're just going to have to trust the Lord. To which he replies, Oh, doctor, has it come to that? Vance Hoffner likes to tell that story, and he always likes to say, It always comes to that. Why not begin with that? Jesus' argument. I know times go almost we'll squeeze these last two thoughts in. Worry is unholy. Is that okay, Steve? All right. You still with me? Have have we got to get kids out of the children's ministry, Rob? Are we good for another couple of minutes? All right. Worry is unholy. I'll try and make this one fast because I don't want to miss the last one. Worry is unholy. We've touched on this, but the point I'm making is this. It demeans God in all His holiness and in all His glory and in all His beauty. It robs Him of His glory. It presents Him to the world as no better than a petty deity. Because this is Jesus' argument in verses 31 to 33. Therefore, do not worry, sin, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. Now, notice this for after all these things the Gentiles seek. The the Gentiles, the pagans, the unchurched, the unsaved, the lost, put whatever name you want on them, they worry all day long. They're, They're scraping for material gain and material security. That's what the Gentiles do, and they do it all day long. But, notice this, for your heavenly Father knows what you need. Therefore, seek His kingdom, and He will add unto you the things necessary for to fulfill His will. Greg Bloomberg, the great commentator, said, anxiety characterized pagan religions, which were dominated by fears of a capricious and despotic deity who constantly had to be appeased. That's Jesus' point. If you look at the the pantheon of Greek deities, they were moody. They fought among themselves. They copulated with each other. There was murder in the heavens among the supposed Greek deities. They were capricious, moody. And the Greek, the man who was pagan, would look to his, his, his deity with head to the ground, hand to the head, wondering when the lightning was going to strike. No security, no love, no relationship. And Jesus' point is, you know what, guys? Stop it, and stop it now, no further, because the way you're living is like you're living like a pagan, which is a disgrace because you have a heavenly Father who cares, protects, disciplines, provides. In fact, He delivered up His own Son for us all. And will He not with Him give us all things? Guys, cut it out. You're, you're a terrible advertisement. You're giving the world the impression that the God of the Bible and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is no better than a capricious Greek deity. That's terrible, isn't it? But our worry, mine, yours, belittles God, slanders his good character. It's got to stop. It should stop. It it, it must stop. When Hudson Taylor was going to China with his children, people wondered, are you nuts? Taking your children across the world, exposing them? You you know, you're not worried? uh, You maybe shouldn't do this. Here's what he says. I'm taking my children with me, and I notice that it's not difficult for me to remember that the little ones need breakfast in the morning, dinner at midday, and something before they go to bed. Indeed, I could not forget it, and I find it impossible to suppose that our Heavenly Father is less tender or mindful than me. I do not believe that our Heavenly Father will ever forget His children. I am a very poor father, but it is not my habit to forget my children. God is a very, very, very good father. It is not His habit to forget His. Amen? Amen. Last thought, worry is unbearable. Unbearable. This is the point Jesus is making in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day as its own trouble. Worry makes life unbearable. It's not only unlawful. It's not only unbecoming and unprofitable, unholy. It's unbearable. It borrows from tomorrow. It steals from yesterday. And it brings today to a halt. No one can live happily or peacefully two or three times out of day, and that's Jesus' point. And yet that's what we do when we worry. We heap onto our plate the regrets of yesterday, the fears of tomorrow, the problems of today. Why do you feel overwhelmed? Because you overwhelm yourself. Jesus knows that we worry so much because we worry too much. Now, He's happy for us to be concerned about legitimate issues in life. But it mustn't become bad worry. And the other thing he wants us to know is just worry and be concerned about today. Because there's enough trouble today. But you can bear life one day at a time. But you try and live life two, three, four days at a time, there's no grace for that. No grace for that. What, what about Deuteronomy 33, 25? As your days what does it say? So shall your strength be. God's going to give you enough strength for each day you live. But if you live two days at a time, by about noon, you're out of strength because you're using up too much strength. It was meant to last you one day, but you've exhausted it because you're living two, three, four, five, six days at a time. That's Jesus' point. Forget about tomorrow Focus on today. Worry doesn't drain tomorrow of its sorrows. It drains today of its strength. The secret to not worrying is to live one day at a time. Don't be making things harder by picking a fight with tomorrow. Or as John Piper talks about, don't misappropriate your troubles. Now, there will be troubles tomorrow, but don't misappropriate them. Don't bring them into the day. Don't misappropriate your troubles. Don't pick a fight with tomorrow. Just live today knowing that there is grace for today, strength for today. This is the day the Lord has made. You can rejoice and be glad in it. Listen to these words and we'll be done. There are two days out of every week we must learn never to worry about. One is yesterday and the other is Tomorrow. Yesterday has passed and gone forever. Tomorrow has not yet arrived and is far beyond our control as yesterday. That leaves only today. Anyone can fight the battles of today. Any woman can carry the burdens of one day. Any can resist the temptations of one day. Only when we willingly add the burdens of those two awful eternities, yesterday and tomorrow, such burdens as only the Almighty can sustain, do we break down. It isn't the experiences of today that drive people mad. It's the remorse of what happened yesterday, and it's the fear of what tomorrow might bring. It's true. Corey Ten Boom Spent a part of her life in a concentration camp alone with her sister, Betsy. Betsy never got out. They'd been put there by the Germans because they had housed Jews in their home in Holland. But she escapes eventually. And she traveled the world saying to people this, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. And one day also leaving cultured, Church of England minister she embarrassed them a little by getting onto a train and as it pulled out of the station she poked her head out the window and shouted to them guys don't wrestle just nestle love that little statement that's what God is saying here don't wrestle just nestle just fall into my arms I'm your father I've got the whole world in my hand I can take care of you what I'm going to redeem your soul and not take care of your life. I'm going to give you life and not take care of your body. I took care of you yesterday. I'm not going to take care of you today. And if I take care of you today, I'm not going to take care of you tomorrow. Come on. Stop it. Stop doing that to yourself. Stop doing that to me. Stop bringing the gospel into disrepute. Stop your worrying. Give me your trust. I'm worthy of your trust. And I will keep them in perfect peace, whose mind is stead on me and who trust in me. Amen? Amen? Lord, we thank you for our time in the Word. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And oh, what peace we often forfeit. And oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this prescription that's been written in the handwriting of Jesus Christ, signed by the Master Himself. Help us to take the prescription. We know the malady. We know the sickness. It's worry. It's anxiety. It's a lack of trust in you. We need to be healed. We thank you this prescription will do it. So help us not just to hear the word, but to receive it and do it. For we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.